We're going to study tonight from second, from the second chapter of First Corinthians, really from verse twenty-six of the first chapter, First Corinthians. Read with me at verse twenty-six of chapter one. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God, But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now I've got a logic to... uh, lesson I want to do with you tonight. I don't know whether you can see this well from back where you're sitting or not, but this is what is called junk art. That's pretty expensive stuff when you buy it at a store. You've seen these kinds of things around where they take, you know, old bolts and nuts and screws and nails and they put it all together to make objects. This, this thing here happens to be a, like a clip and an old spring and a couple of pieces of wrought iron. I don't even know what this is, but I think it's the base of some kind of a jewelry uh, container, you know, that girls sit on their uh, dressers and put jewelry in. And um, this is a piece of iron. Uh, I don't know where this came, but all this put together makes, um, start to say beautiful, uh, makes a bird. Uh, and uh, some of these things are pretty expensive when you buy them at a store. Pieces that are uh, discarded and unwanted, nails and bolts and things that, that you find alongside the road, really, and, and you and I would never use them, wouldn't even want them. As a matter of fact, if they were in our way, we'd just kind of kick them aside or we'd throw them away. Uh, what this passage deals with tonight is the fact that, that God takes nothings and make some things out of them. I was preaching at a little church in uh, England several years ago, and I made this statement. When, when God uh, chose me and, and took me, he, he took something that was, you know, there was nothing really, and made something beautiful out of it. Now, a man there, he, he misunderstood. He heard, the idea, he heard me say that, that I was beautiful. You know, he said, hey, a lot of the guy was over there bragging about how beautiful he was, and I didn't think he was so hot. The whole point was that, that, that God takes something that, that is really nothing and He creates something of value out of it. 
The Bible declares that we in and of ourselves are worthless. The Apostle Paul said that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing, so that before God and before man, without the saving grace of God, there is nothing in us. But God is pleased, and this is the whole story of the New Testament, God is pleased to take something that is of really no value, the nothings of the earth, and put them together and make something out of it that's useful and worthy and beautiful. Now I want you to remember that, that this letter is written to a church that had a lot of problems. And last Sunday night we talked about the fact that in this church at Corinth there were these quarrels and, 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 and the result of the quarrels were cliques and some of those people were saying, I belong to Paul and Apollos and I'm of Cephas and some said, I'm of Christ. And, and those quarrels and cliques led to pride, a kind of a false pride. And so the Apostle Paul is laying the foundation to straighten out that problem in the church at Corinth and he does so like this. He says, I want you folks to remember that God just took a bunch of nothings and by His grace, saving grace, He put together something that was of no value to anybody and He made something useful and valuable uh, from it. And He does so with two illustrations. Now somebody said that illustrations are like windows in a house. You wouldn't want a house with all windows, but you wouldn't want a house without any. And so he takes two illustrations to illustrate that God picked up off the road something that would, people would just discard and not want and put together by His grace something beautiful. And the two illustrations he uses are, Consider your calling and consider my coming. First of all, he says, Consider your calling. Remember Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. I'm the genius and you in, in and of yourselves are incidental pieces. I'm the genius of the whole thing. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And he says, when, when, when a person starts to establish the fact that he is a value, that, he's, that he is an aristocrat, he's going he's to boast of three things. Notice it in the text. If a person was going to, 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 to say or establish the fact that he was an aristocrat, he, he would prove the fact that he was an aristocrat with three, in three ways. By saying that he was wise, that he was mighty, and that he had nobility. And he said, when I look around in this group of people called the Corinthian church, I, I don't see many people who are wise, that is cultured. Now he didn't say I don't see any. The Queen of England was the first to point that out. She said, now Paul didn't say, I don't see any. He said, I don't see many. There were some, but not many. When I look at this church in Corinth, he said, when I look around you, I don't see many people who are cultured, wise, intellectual. And he said, I don't see many folks who are strong, mighty, not strong in the sense of Samson, but strong in the sense of Reagan, that is influential, has power. And he said, I don't see many folks who are noble, that is well-born, who have blue blood and noble birth. He said, when I look around you, I don't see many folks who could claim to be aristocrats. But this is what I see when I look around the church at Corinth. Now, now just turn with me to chapter 6. I want to show you what that church was like. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. That means in that ancient world, sexual, the virtue of sexual purity was non-existent. Uh, do you not know that, that fornicators, idolaters, nor murderers, nor effeminate or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know where you can find a list of, of, uh, uh, of more uh, ignoble folks than this. I mean, fornicators and adulterers and thieves and robbers and idolaters, effeminate and homosexuals. But look at what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Now, what, was the, what, uh, what constituted, what made up the church at, at Corinth? Murderers and idolaters and fornicators and adulterers and thieves and homosexuals who were brought in to the saving grace of God and transformed in the heart of their nature. Now he said, when I look around, I don't see many aristocratic folks who can boast of having much. What I see is the riffraff of society. That's where God has to begin. And, and there's this phrase that just occurs over and over again. And the phrase is, I have chosen. I have chosen. You know, sometimes I think we have the idea that God just takes what He can get. God, God's not like that. I mean, He's no beggar. He doesn't just take what He can get and, and what He can, you know, uh, what He has to work with or the riffraff because He can't get anybody else. He says, I have chosen. Notice what He said, I've chosen. I've chosen the uneducated. And I have chosen those who are weak, who have no influence. And I have chosen the base and the despised, the lower class, and the things that are not, that is, the slaves who have no uh, individual uh, existence in society apart from their masters, these are the people I have chosen. And this is the purpose I have chosen them, that I might confound the mighty and nullify the things that are so that we would have no boast before God. Now, there ought to be some encouragement in that. You see, God didn't choose you and, and, and God doesn't use you in spite of the fact that you're weak and uneducated and unimportant. He chooses you and He uses you because of that. And the greatest credential you have for God in, use, in God using you is the fact that you have nothing and are nothing. That in and of yourselves there is no good thing. For when God chooses that kind of man or woman to use, then God gets all the glory for it. I get ready to come in to preach on Sunday morning. And the last thing I do before I come in here on Sunday morning is I get on my knees by my desk, and this is what I say. God, I'm going to claim your anointing. In the name of Jesus Christ, I claim your anointing to preach this morning. And if there's anything that happens in, in that auditorium out there that is worthy of praise, it's going to all be because of you. And if I get in there and I fail miserably, it's going to be my fault entirely. For if there's anything in my life that is of worth, of value, worthy of praise, it'll be because God in His grace was willing to reach down and choose to use me. 
And somebody came up to Dwight L. Moody and said a very humbling thing one time. He said, I just, I have a good, I, I, I know it, it's confirmed in me that, that God is, that, that it's of God that, that He's using you, that He's chosen you, because there is nothing in you that can account for what is happening in your life. Now, you know why I'm absolutely certain tonight and absolutely convinced that God will just gather together a bunch of people that are really nothings, that, that, that really have no um, uh, claim to fame, no might, no influence, no power, etc., and can, and can get together those people and use them mightily. You know why I can say that with absolute confidence? Because I know that that's the kind of people that God uses so He can get the glory. Consider your calling. Then he said, consider my coming. Now, it's important to notice that the Apostle Paul is not talking about something he could not have done. Uh, now, the Apostle Paul, could have, he could have stood up with the best of them. I mean, he could have preached with the best of them. But he said, but, but he chose not to. He said, I didn't come with uh, superiority of speech. And the word superiority of speech there, that Greek word is, is really a word that means the, the, a part of a cliff that hangs over the road. The word come, that the thought comes from that. And it's that part which you notice as you travel along, a piece of a cliff hanging over. He said, I didn't come with the kinds of words that people would notice. I, I didn't come to preach the kinds of sermons that would call attention to the sermon itself or to the preacher himself or to the message itself. Um, I came with a message that would, that would call attention to the Lord. Okay. Uh, was it da Vinci who was painting the picture of the Last Supper? And somebody uh, pointed out, noticed how marvelously he had done some of those uh, characters, those, uh, those disciples. And Da Vinci took his brush and smudged out their faces and said, if you, if you notice the disciples, then I have failed. The one you notice in this picture is the Christ. And Apostle Paul said, I didn't come with a message that would call attention to me. I came with a message that would call attention to him. Now, you might say, well, now, Paul's just kind of being uh, super uh, humble. Not, not really. If you got your New Testament, let me show you something kind of, kind of cute. It's over in, this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me, let me point something out to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. Now, I'm not sure uh, that I... Uh, know what everybody's saying about me out there, you know, in the cool, in the cold, dark world, you know, but I hope it's not, you know, what they've said, look here what they said about this guy. I mean, this is Paul, he said, they said, his letters are weighty and strong. Man, he writes a good letter, but he's horrible to look at. I mean, he is a, he is a, a dud. I mean, says, his letters are weighty. But his personal presence is unimpressive. And look at what they say about his sermons. His speech is contemptible. I mean, you talk about poor sermon. You listen to that guy preach. I mean, the sound of his voice just grates on me. I mean, the guy's terrible. Now, that's not much of a compliment. Pay a, a Baptist preacher. 
flip, flip the page over to the 11th chapter and look with me at verse 5. He said, now, now, I don't know whether I've got a strong enough uh, self-image to handle some of that kind of talk. What the Apostle Paul did, what did I say? He said in verse 5, he said, I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now go back to chapter 2 and take a look at this. The Apostle Paul said, I know what these folks are saying about me. They're saying about me, I look horrible, and he must have been a, a gr- grungy looking guy. And he said, I know what they're saying, saying in my, my sermons about the worst sermons they've ever heard. Well, he said, I consider myself to be as great as the most eminent apostle. You know what he's saying? He said, I could have come and wowed you with a dynamic message, but I determined that I would not. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2 what he said. He said, I determined that I was not coming to say anything except Christ and Him crucified. Now, if you'll check back in the book of Acts, chapter 17, you'll notice that the last stop the apostle Paul made before he got to Corinth was at Athens. And it was at Athens, at the Areopagus, the, 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 the sermon was preached, the, the, the famous sermon on Mars Hill. And he came into that city and saw all these people worshiping their, their, their um, polygods, their multitude of gods. And he said, well, in all you, you philosophers and you, you many God worshipers, you've left out one God. And, and he preached to them about the, quote, unknown God. And, and, he, and he dealt with them in a kind of a philosophical way. And now, I'm not saying that the Apostle Paul made a mistake in Athens, but he just fell flat there. And on his way to Corinth, this is what he decided. From now on, I'm going to stand and I'm going to preach a simple message. And the simple message is this. Jesus Christ was crucified for you. Consider my coming. Now, now, now watch this. Here were these Jews looking for a sign. Here were these Greeks that were hanging on some intellectual, uh, philosophical speech. And the Apostle Paul said, No, God just takes the simple things, the base things, the unimportant things, the, the little things, and, and that's what He uses to compound the mighty. And this was His message. He came in fear and trembling, in awe and respect, because this was His motive, that their faith might rest not upon the argument of men, but on the Spirit and the power of God. Now, before I come to the application, l- let me share a little bit of my own pilgrimage at this time in my life. I told you a few weeks ago that, that that I came up to the church one Saturday afternoon and I was doing a little going to do a little study and prayer. And God led me to, to look at an article in a magazine. I the thing been there, I'd studied in that single adult room. I study up there every Thursday where it's quiet. But that Saturday afternoon God led me to to, to an article in a in a magazine. It'd been laying there every week I'd seen it there that helped me to discover something in my own Christian life, my own ministry. And that is that what is really important in in what we're doing here in the ministry I perform, in the ministry that goes on in this church, there's nothing that goes on here that's really of value or importance 
except that which has the anointing of the Spirit of God upon it. Now, now folks, if you go into your Sunday school class and you teach the class and you've prepared yourself and, and you just do a marvelous job and when you leave, everybody's just saying, wow, what a great teacher. If it doesn't have the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit of God on it, you've wasted your time and theirs. And when I stand here to preach, if I can't preach in the anointing of the Spirit of God, it doesn't matter what I say. If the Spirit of God does not anoint it, it's of absolute no value. It's of zilch, zero value. Now, the Apostle Paul said, Folks, this is what really counts. What really counts in the church is not profound teaching or profound preaching or aristocratic people or wealth or powerful, influential people. What is really important is just common, ordinary folks that God has saved and has anointed with His Spirit. You give me a church of just common folk ordinary folk that walk in the, and live in the Spirit of God and the anointing of God upon their life. And we're on the way to doing the business like it was meant to be done. Now let me give you an application. Then, then we'll quit. Three minutes late. You can't beat that. Not normally can you beat that around here for sure. I, I see four applications. Number one, Remember, remember the pit. You know, the psalmist said, The Lord turned to me and heard my cry and delivered me out of the miry clay, out of the pit, set my foot upon a rock, put a new song in my heart, a word of praise upon my lips. Many shall see and fear and praise the Lord. Remember where you came from. Remember where you were when God found you. Remember the rock from which you were hewn. Just remember the pit. Remember what it was like where you were when God rescued you. Don't ever get away from, from that. Don't ever forget what you were like when God found you. Remember the pit. Second, refuse the praise. You don't deserve any praise. Our celebration tonight and our applause for these kids were for the Lord. He's the one that gave them their voice. He's the one that gifted them. He's the one that gave them everything they have. Refuse the praise. Now, I know it's... Um, easy for us to say, well, just praise the Lord, just praise the Lord. So, sometimes it kind of bothers me, you know, for somebody to come up to me and, and say something that, that I know that belongs to God. Because I, I want it for myself, I'm ashamed to say. That leads me to the third application. Realize the person. That is, realize the one who deserves it. Realize the one who deserves the praise for anything good in your life. It's Him. Fourth application, then just rest in the power. Let me tell you something. Listen to me carefully. I want you to get this. 
when you remember the pit and you refuse the praise and you give it all to Him, there comes into your life a power that is supernatural in its nature. And you can rest in that power. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for making us aware tonight where we were when You found us and that the value that has come has come because of Your grace and power. Never let us forget that. I thank, that you're, I thank You, Father, that You're able to take nothing, make something out of it. I praise You for it. And Lord, I just want to yield myself again to You tonight to say, Lord, I want You to take me and use me. Whatever comes from my life that's of value, I know You'll receive the, gra- the, the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer hardly thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time with the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Two? Only two? Three dollars. Who'll give? Who'll make it three? Three dollars once. Three dollars twice. And going for three, but no From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. And wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody, melody as pure and sweet like a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer said, with a voice quiet and low, What am I bid now for the violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars? Who will make it two? Two thousand. And who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. And going and gone, said he. And the people cheered. But some of them cried, We do not fully understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply. "'Twas the touch of the Master's hand. And many a life all out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, is auctioned too cheap, like, much like the old violin." a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and they travel on, going once, going twice, going and almost gone. Then the Master comes, and the foolish crowd cannot fully understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch the master's hand.
What I desire for each of us tonight is that our life might be touched by the Master's hand. It's not much. You have much, not much, of much value. Not a, you're not important. In and of yourself, you're worthless. So am I. But oh, the difference God makes. I want you to come tonight and be saved if you're not saved. I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified, died for you. I want you to come and make it right with God because you've been away from Him. Or join this church. God wants to take those little bits of nothing, put together something that has value. Someone asks you to stand. And while we sing, David Elitis will invite you to come. Right on the first stanza, would you come?